0: This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specializes in making it a successful reality. Hello everyone and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now it's time today for a look at crypto and the world of cryptocurrencies. It's been an interesting time so far. This year, there's been another raft of volatility in the first few months of 2022. Obviously, we talk mainly about Bitcoin, but we've seen that kind of volatility in many of the cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin itself losing around 20% so far this year at the time of recording. Let's get straight to someone who knows quite a lot about the crypto universe. That's the CEO of the Mandala Exchange, Joe Rybin. Joe, welcome. So good to have you with us today.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here, Oriel.
0: Now, Joe, talk to us a little bit about yourself. You've got a legal background. So how have you ended up running a crypto exchange?
1: That's a great question. Uh, so, yes, uh, my, my background, I got into the crypto space 2014-2015 uh, era uh, as both a trader as well as on the legal end for regulatory and compliance, as well as business structuring and tax uh, consultation and, struct- and preparing and filing for a lot of crypto companies. Uh, Probably about 60 to 70 globally at this point. Uh, I did start through my law firm as, uh, you know, outside counsel for most of these uh, crypto companies and kind of parlayed that into my current position as CEO of Mandala Exchange, where I started with the first iteration of the exchange with a different founders group and actually a different company as the outside counsel. And when they abandoned the project in 2019, stepped in and kind of rebooted the project along with some other people on, on the team Uh, You know, as the CEO. So that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Uh, Very proud to say we just completed our first year of, um, you know, existence with the Mandala Exchange launched in its current form, uh, did over two and a half billion dollars worth of trades. The, our first year, and we are steadily progressing and acquiring users now over sixty five thousand users.
0: Oh, the growth in this industry is just absolutely phenomenal, isn't
1: it, Joe? It is. It is. Uh, it's, it's it's great to see. It. It's it's wonderful to see. it. It's great to see how, uh, you know how adopted it's becoming and accepted. It's becoming globally.
0: You know, it's interesting because you said that there was a group um that were apps that were abandoning the project. Yet you and some others decided to pick it up. What made you think that it would work? If there was, you know, obviously colleagues and people around you who did.
1: Sure. So I I guess we kind of saw the missteps and the pitfalls that happened, especially um, with myself as as one of the outside, you know, as the outside counsel with my firm. Uh, So we saw some of these pitfalls and missteps that happened, like I said, and we knew we could do a better job and be more efficient and more proactive in really developing out the exchange to give our community and give our user base a full-fledged, you know, trading experience, not only with the spot exchange but as we'll get into with some developments that are going on uh, throughout 2022 for our exchange. So we picked it up from there and we were quite confident we could do better. And so far we have.
0: So what is it about the Mandala exchange that that sets it apart from others? Because obviously, as the industry grows and as, as it grows so rapidly, as does the competition in, in the space, I mean, there's, there's a number of exchanges out there. So what makes a Mandala exchange special?
1: Uh, first and foremost would be our partnership with Binance. We are built as a white label exchange on the Binance cloud. But we are independently owned and operated, meaning that we control all of our assets, we control all of our equity, and we are able to build out with other third-party providers as well, should we want to add on, you know, different pieces and different you know, aspects of our exchange. Now, what makes it special with Binance is the order books, the number of pairs, which is, you know, around 1200 pairs that we can provide our users, the liquidity, the stability of the orders, order books, right? Uh, Binance is some of the biggest book depth and, and stability for these tokens in the world, as well as Binance's security, um, You know, their wallets are very secure. We function underneath that framework. So if a hack ever does, uh, you know, happen, we rely on Binance's security to quickly and efficiently shut down the hack and reimburse our user base that has been affected. So that's, that's number one. Number two is really the team we've brought in. We have a very experienced crypto team that has, uh, you know, worked on a lot of projects before Uh, our CTOs. For for example, um, Zach has been working on crypto projects since 2010 or 11, since the dawn of crypto. Uh, We have very experienced marketing creatives and graphic design teams uh, that have worked on multiple projects as well as business operations, business development, and our support team. So, The people are really what makes it special. And of course, lastly, the community, right? We would have never been able to reboot our project without the help of our community, who we went to and helped raise funds to reboot the project. And we've grown from a community of a few thousand to, like I said, over 65,000, uh, you know, user signups for our exchange now. So that that plays a vital role in, in our long-term stability for our exchange.
0: You, you're also doing some interesting things there at the Mandala Exchange. Um, I was just on your website um, a short time ago looking at Mandala Madness. Take us through that.
1: Sure. Uh, so we have a... Mandala Madness is basically a monthly competition where we do a drawing for some of our users who are, you know, our active traders. And if you have an account on the exchange and you hold a certain number of tokens on the exchange, uh, we call it locking. But it's really just verifying that you have a certain number of Mandala tokens on the exchange. You are entered into our trading contest giveaway where we give away a portion of the volume um, in Mandala tokens or USDT, a tether, a stable coin every month. As, as a kind of thank you to our users for continuing to support us. Um, you know, we're not aware of uh, many other exchanges, if any, that do that. And we like to do it as, as, as a really, you know, a show of gratitude to our um to our user base.
0: What about yield farming? What exactly is yield farming? Because this was something else I picked up on your website. Yep.
1: Yeah. So I'd like to touch on that for a minute. I'm glad you brought that up. We are implementing a, a whole DeFi platform with not just yield farming, but single-asset staking as well in the first couple quarters of 2022, and are going to go live with that with our partner, uh, Simple DeFi. They have developed an innovative and very easy to use three-mouse-click yield farm, which means you stake, uh, you, you have tokens, right? If you have tokens that are not being used, uh, not being actively trading, you can come over to the yield farm and st- what we call stake them or you kind of, you loan them out uh, is the easiest way to put it for a passive return on your income. Now, it's really beneficial for our users that may just hold the uh, their tokens on our exchange and not actively trade, you know, or maybe long-term holders kind of waiting for their price point because they can generate revenue by loaning out their tokens virtually to other users for other other, you know, other projects or wherever they want to loan it to and earn passive income on them. If they don't want to sell, we are building out um, a couple of Mandala specific yield farms, as well as Mandala specific single asset staking, which means if you lock a portion of your Mandala token up into the asset staking, you get an APY or you know, a, 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 or a monthly, depending on the pool that you lock it up to, you get a return on that token. So it's there are a couple of really easy and really innovative ways that DeFi has created to earn passive income. And we are integrating those to our exchange, really proud to be doing so.
0: What does that mean if you, for example, hold half of a Bitcoin token?
1: What we're developing is what's called a bridge for our ERC-20 or Ethereum-based Mandala token over to BSC, or a Binance smart chain version of our token. And we are going to be accessing the DeFi or decentralized finance platform through that token. So the short answer is if you're holding a Bitcoin, what you're going to have to do is trade it into our Mandala token via our exchange, and then go through the bridge to access the DeFi side by swapping it one-to-one for the Binance Smart Chain version of the token. That'll all be laid out in really easy to follow tutorials and videos. So it's going to be easy for even the least experienced crypto user to do this. Then you can access our whole DeFi platform and earn passive income. Like I was saying before at an APY or APM on that that crypto that you're just having sit idle right now.
0: So, so let's take it back just a step for our listeners, um, Joe, and talk about the DeFi landscape itself. It's it's much easier for many, certainly, that those who are starting out to get their head around things like Bitcoin because it's talked about a lot. It's in the news a lot. DeFi, not so much. Take us through exactly what that is and how it relates to what people know, which is Bitcoin.
1: DeFi or decentralized finance is basically a decentralized way to bank and to trade and to earn uh, both active and passive income on your crypto assets that you currently hold. Like you mentioned before, we've talked about asset staking is kind of akin to buying a stock and letting it get, send you dividends, right? Or, or, or earn dividends. Yield farming is kind of a way to actively lend out your crypto through a decentralized platform and earn rewards on that as well. And then there are other things like liquidity mining, pooling, um, you know, yield farming, like we said, there, there, there's a whole area of finance built around it. I would urge the listeners to kind of Google even what is decentralized finance. There's thousands of videos on it, thousands of articles on it, and it can give you the basics. But in general, it's giving our traditional crypto traders, whether they trade spot assets or futures or some kind of margin trading with crypto, another avenue to earn income through, crypt- through their crypto that they have in their portfolio.
0: It is a highly complex market. You know, it's 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 not something that um you know you would expect a newbie to come in and understand immediately. It does take that additional layer of research, which you've just been recommending uh, the listener, our listeners, do. Um, you know, one of the main issues, um, sometimes seen as a hindrance, but often seen as a benefit, is of course regulation and the increased level of regulation that we're seeing not just in the U.S. but right around the world. Where are we at? right now on a global level um, when it comes to regulation and how much more can we expect? I mean, obviously, this is country specific, um, but are are we close to being at a fully regulated market?
1: (laughs) The answer is that's yes and no. It really depends where you're located. Uh, if you look at uh, places like Australia that's been building out, uh, you know, with ASIC and with their cybersecurity divisions and building out these standards, right, for market regulation, cybersecurity, increased transparency for blockchain and crypto companies, I think we're closer to a fully regulated, um, you know, crypto cryptoverse, let's call it that, than not. Uh, we also see that in the U.S., of course, with Biden's executive order that came down that really highlighted and touched on consumer protection, illicit activity, financial stability, and is, is, is prompting or, um, mandating that all these regulatory bodies come up with a framework over the next year. Uh, not to mention the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, uh, Senator Loomis from Uh, Wyoming in the U.S. put forth to Congress as well. These two orders and bills in conjunction should develop a very strong regulatory framework in the U.S. to make them, uh, you know, uh, a crypto regulatory leader. Uh, We're also seeing that in places like South Korea, where President Yoon, uh, the the new president-elect, probably won his election in part because he's advocating for stronger crypto regulatory guidelines and frameworks in and wants uh, South Korea to become a leader. So we are seeing a lot of progress, right, uh, moving forward with this asset class. And I, I think that's reflected in, if you look at your current events, the, uh, the vote that just occurred in the EU uh, that could have really crippled proof of work Tokens. Uh, I definitely encourage our listeners to to read about that as well. But that that was shot down. That proposal was shot down because I think the general understanding and general consensus is that sensible regulation and you know more uniform regulation worldwide is around the corner and is being developed out in all parts of the globe. And that is going to come together and form a really strong regulatory framework.
0: I had a conversation a few years ago over in Singapore with the government there about regulation. And the head of regulation was saying to me at the time, when it comes to a market like crypto, it's very difficult to stay ahead of it because the innovation that we're seeing and the speed of change that we're seeing in the market in general, um, it's very difficult to stay ahead of that. Are you hearing that as well?
1: Hearing it, seeing it, uh, living it really it's the speed of which developments happened in the decentralized finance sector, as well as with NFTs or non-fungible tokens, uh, as well as these metaverses that are coming out, uh, just, just all the, the layers that there are to crypto really web three, right? That's, that's a big buzzword for 2021, 2022, um, we're seeing these brilliant developers just innovate at light speed and governments and regulatory authorities struggling to catch up just because of the pace of development. And I think you're exactly right. So putting this base framework in, 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 in play for all these different jurisdictions is crucial so that we have some kind of regulatory net that we can move forward with and you know, kind of stabilize the asset class a little bit. But I do think that it's going to evolve almost on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, take your pick, based on the projects and the products that are coming out in our, in our field.
0: You know, we've also seen something interesting. You talked about the EU before, um, but Ukraine, we're hearing Ukraine's received close to 100 million in crypto, in crypto donations, of course, during this invasion, Russia's invasion of U- Ukraine. And the Ukrainian president has just uh, moved on with their regulation there and signed a virtual law on crypto assets which essentially legalizes the assets in the country. What does this mean for the market overall?
1: That's right. And we are seeing that with more countries. I think Ukraine's a very poignant example, of course, because of the conflict and geopolitical events that are going on there uh, right now. And and that's very bullish uh, in terms of sentiment for our market because it's showing that, that crypto and, and, and Bitcoin in particular, of course, right now, but crypto as an asset class has standing and has, um, you know, has a foothold in these markets where maybe the, you know, fiat currency is destabilized and something has to come and fill that void. So it is being fully accepted, which is really key for the, the long term health and, and um, you know, bullish nature of our asset class moving forward.
0: Are sanctions, are the sanctions in Russia going to drive more people to crypto in your view?
1: Uh, it's funny that you, you bring that up. I, I actually released a statement the other day on behalf of our exchange on Twitter where I was uh, talking about sanction those sanctioned individuals versus really hindering the Russian people. And we have chosen, I'm going to get to that in a second, we've chosen not to block off all Russian IP addresses on our exchange because of the fact that we don't want to harm the general populace when fiat currency like the ruble is so destabilized right now and that may be the only way they have it to transact. Um, what we're seeing is these sanctions are really hurting, you know, fiat currency and legacy currencies uh, in certain sectors of the world, of course. And crypto is coming in and, and playing a vital role in helping and allowing Russian citizens to survive. So there's not a run on banks. So there's not a, um, you know, a, a even more destabilization in that region and th- there's there's not a it's thwarting a depression really in my view
0: yeah it, it's an, it's certainly an interesting um, situation that we're seeing in that part of the world at, at the moment but it does feel like uh, uh, there is a renewed interest because of all of the issues that, that you've talked about but there's not only geopolitical inter- issues at the moment that's impacting the crypto market of course this is also economic inflation High U.S. rates—you know—we just saw a, a hike in U.S. rates for the first time since 2018. What sort of impact will this have on the market?
1: Um, I, we absolutely did, and you know, like I've always talked about, that crypto is a hedge against traditional financial markets. Obviously, the hike in rates—we're going to see this bubble burst a little bit. We—it's really long overdue, as we know. With the, the the interest rates should have been, you know, steadily increased by small increments, in my view, a long time ago. Um, but they, you know, they, they've just kept it at pretty much nothing since two thousand, since, you know, two thousand eight and 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 before that even. So uh, I think that it's going to really bring crypto into into the forefront again, even more so than we're traditionally used to seeing, because of the fact that people are going to be looking for a hedge. People are going to be looking for, um, you know these other areas to put their investments. And I think, along with precious metals, crypto is going to fill that void.
0: When we look at the crypto market overall, Joe, um, obviously, as we discussed a little bit earlier, uh, people, certainly um, newbies to the market, uh, talk a lot about Bitcoin. When you look at Bitcoin, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. You probably don't want to answer, but where, what, what sort of, what sort of forecasts do you have for Bitcoin right now, and and wh- how long will Bitcoin remain the dominant crypto? Um,
1: that, that's actually a great question. I don't mind answering it. Um, what I see is is a bull run that should probably extend through 2024. Um, you know, I think we touched on this about a month ago, and we did another interview as well. And what I'm seeing is is that we may sit in the 30s to 40s for a while, but there is definitely the more the more the more buildup and more pressure we have there, especially with these other sanctions, um, with the the Fed rates, all this, all these you know factors cooked in. I think there's going to be another parabolic run, you know, before before 2024 or into 2024, where we could see highs as high as 140 to 160 k per Bitcoin by the end of this cycle. uh, I've done uh, you know technical analysis with other people that are very well versed in the industry, and they're calling for the low to mid twos. I like to scale it back a little bit, like low to mid 200 thousands, let's say USD per Bitcoin. I like to scale it back a little bit and kind of hedge because I like to be more. you know, I don't I, I don't like I like to be more conservative and I think but I think 140 to 160 is very reasonable 160k per Bitcoin uh, that we'll see uh, during this bull cycle. What's the biggest risk
0: to that forecast?
1: Oh uh, honestly, the biggest risk to that is a global war and that that's the one thing that scares me right now, right because of what's going on. I don't think it's going to come to that. I really don't. I think cooler heads will hopefully hopefully prevail but you never know. And if if there is a World War Three, all bets are off. Quite honestly, uh, that could be a totally you know global destabilizing event, and I think all markets will be affected equally, where people just kind of retreat from any kind of asset class and and you know scale back into familiar assets.
0: Is there any crypto out there at the moment that, that, that could threaten Bitcoin's dominance?
1: Uh, there sure is. I mean, I, I don't think in the short term, but I think maybe the long term. It really depends what happens with with uh, payment um methods such as swift if uh you know traditional banking payment methods like swift go down uh xrp is uh they're about to win their court case i would say in in my estimation as a a lawyer that's followed it closely against the sec and become one of the first fully regulated cryptocurrencies in the world and i could see them taking over as a giant transactional payment settlement token and even if they take a percentage of Swift's business, their total market cap could probably threaten uh, Bitcoin's. You know, there's others in there's others in the room. Obviously, Ethereum is always a threat uh, in terms of market cap, but they're you know they're, they're only about half of of what Bitcoin is right now. But as there's more applications that develop on the Ethereum network and there's more use cases for Ethereum, as well as it going to proof of stake eventually with Ethereum 2.0 from a current proof of work concept, that could also threaten Bitcoin's dominance. But I don't think we're going to see that in the short term. I think there's Many you know many years left for Bitcoin to be the dominant player in the market, and it will really depend on how developers evolve Bitcoin
0: all right um Joe look I, I want to just uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. um It's been really interesting having this conversation. We look forward to catching up with you again in a few months' time to see where where we're at. Um, and following your forecast uh, there as well. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks. And if I could just say one more thing, Ariel, uh, please keep your eyes out, guys. Uh, we're running a large campaign, large marketing campaign in Sydney. We're going to be hitting a lot of venues in Sydney for our exchange. So you guys can highlight the benefits of using our exchange versus some other Australian exchanges. So please keep your eyes out for that in the coming weeks.
0: We certainly will. We'll uh, uh, catch up with you again and talk about uh, uh, your move and your push into Australia. But look forward to hearing more from you, Joe. And thanks so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Oriole. Have a great evening.
0: And that's all we have time for, for this edition of Stock Insiders with me, Aurel Morrison. Thanks, of course, to all of our listeners today. We'll catch you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialized corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium sized public and ASX listed companies.